let me introduce you to inspiring entrepreneurs. Hi there, my name is Ben Gothard. My mission is to interview incredible entrepreneurs who are changing the world and present their stories to you, unscripted and unedited. From billionaires to Forbes 30 under 30 recipients to New York Times best-selling authors and much, much more, these people are living proof that nothing is impossible. Join me on this journey to learn from their experiences and become the person you're meant to be. Welcome to the Project Egg Show every morning at 8 a.m. Central. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Project Egg Show. I'm your host, Ben Gothard, and today we have the honor of speaking with another Ben, a really cool Ben, Ben Shapiro, host of the top-rated MarTech podcast and also a super badass marketer who's done a lot of incredible things that I'm excited to talk about today. So without any further ado, Ben, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Ben. Excited to meet you and always good to chat with another Ben. Hell yeah, it is. Ben's rule. So let's jump right in. I want to know, what is your story? Um, Geez, where should I start? Uh, I... At the very beginning. <laughs> Well, I was born to a three-legged, no, um, originally from the suburbs of San Francisco. Um, so Silicon Valley, about half an hour south of the city. Um, I went to college, Boston University, and studied business administration and marketing um, and kind of gone down that path through a roundabout way, uh, working for big companies. I worked at eBay for seven years doing business development. Um, ran my own startup, uh, ran the early, ran the marketing department for early stage startups. And about three years ago, almost four years ago now, I kind of got tired of the racket. I got tired of the, you know, working for these companies that had big dreams. I love startups. I've, I've founded them. I've worked for a lot of them, but it just wasn't the right mix for me being at a company that was going to say, Hey, maybe in five years, we're going to pay you what you're worth now. And so I decided to go independent and start working for myself as a marketing consultant. Uh, and I've been on my own and uh, never been happier, uh, you know, working with some of the same brands that I've been working with. And um, out of that project, I started a, a little podcast uh, that talks about marketing and technology. It's called the MarTech Podcast. And uh, that's kind of grown like a weed since I started it 15 months ago. And uh, now podcasting is pretty much you know, 99% of what I do professionally outside of that, uh, you know, man of many interests. I got a wife and a kid and a big sports fan and, you know, just try to work a nice, uh, nice life and, and live a nice work life, I guess. Growing up in that sort of environment, really close to Silicon Valley, there's probably some sort of energy or some sort of feel in that environment that was very different from say where I live in New Orleans, <clears throat> you know, very relaxed here. So what, 
how palpable was that? How did that impact you being in that sort of environment growing up? You know, as a kid here, um, I'm in my late thirties now, it was different. And, and the whole environment around the Bay Area and San Francisco and the tech industry has really bubbled up here. There was Hewlett Packard um, and Apple, and there were some other like centers of technology, but the technology industry wasn't what was driving the growth for the you know, the, the economy of the United States. Um, and so, you know, I think that the financial epicenter of the country was still in New York and uh, centered around finance and Wall Street. And now it's either split or leaning towards the technology industry uh, growing. So it was nice that those companies were around, um, but it wasn't necessarily something that was like, oh, I grew up in Silicon Valley. I'm destined to be a tech entrepreneur. I was just, you know, in nice sunny weather in California and happy to live in the suburbs. And it was a very sort of sheltered, nice place to live. It's very different now. Um, and maybe it's because of the point I am in in my career. Um, but the Bay Area is is absolutely the tech epicenter of the world, in my opinion. And I feel like people are flocking here. Like when I was a kid, they would flock to New York because they wanted to work in finance. So it feels much different now than it did when I was a kid. That's interesting. And so when you then started your career working with different companies like, <clears throat> like eBay, for example, did you feel almost like, like you were drawn to, to some sort of, uh, like like marketing role or um, like how did how did that really come about? Like where did that passion come from? Yeah, so I'll take it a step back and tell you about some of the worst jobs I've ever had, and they were bad because they're everybody's first couple jobs at a college. Most everybody's are a nightmare, uh, and I was ill prepared to go into the workforce coming out of college. Um, I basically took the first job that I was offered, which was basically a door-to-door -door sales job selling phone service and water coolers to businesses uh, in the surrounding area of Boston, Massachusetts, where I went to school. So I got a marketing degree and it was right after 9-11. The economy wasn't fantastic. I took a job because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I was partying and having a good time. Like I was a college kid. Needed to make some money, wasn't really sure how to make the transition into my career and thought I was going to go and work in marketing and get paid hundreds to hundreds of thousands of dollars and was faced with a cruel reality out of college. Like I didn't know what the heck a career was. And that company that hired me moved me around from Boston to Orange County, California, and then to Dallas, Texas. And at some point when I got into Texas, I kind of realized that it was more of a scam than it was a legitimate company. It was almost a marketing level a multi-level marketing company. So I said, hey, look, I want to get into marketing. I love sports. I'm going to go work in sports marketing. And when you're entry level and you're a year or two out of college, you want to work in sports marketing, that is the equivalent of making copies and coffee for people. Wasn't a great job, totally underpaid, working long hours. And I got to see how sports marketing worked, but I wasn't really doing anything. So early in my career, I had these two like, these jobs suck. Nobody appreciates me. I'm not getting any great work experience. And I had to learn what wasn't a fit. And I ended up coming back to the Bay Area more because uh, I didn't necessarily have a lifestyle fit where I was living. 
Um, and I didn't really love my career and I was chasing after the wrong girl. And that's what life was like for me in my early twenties. And so I came back to the town I grew up in. I moved back into the house I grew up in and said, all right, I'm going to start a career now. What are the cool companies? And then it was the early two thousands and the tech industry was really starting to bubble up and take over in the Bay Area. And so the cool companies were eBay, Yahoo, Google, right? Facebook wasn't even really a thing yet. It was in Palo Alto, but not really important. MySpace was in Los Angeles. And so I went and interviewed at all these big tech companies, just hoping to land a gig. And as it turns out, my sister, who is much smarter and more successful than I am, Harvard Business School, she's an investor, very prominent, important person, wonderful sister as well. Her old boss from 10 years ago um, was the person that I interviewed with at eBay. So my sister basically hooked me up and got me an interview at eBay. And they were looking for somebody who was young and hungry to go do all the grunt work. And I was in that point in my career where I knew nothing but grunt work. So it just seemed to be a match. And that's really how I got started in technology. It wasn't that I was seeking out, uh, I got to be in the tech industry. I was in the area, wanted to work for a cool company, wanted some credibility and wanted to start a career. And technology was what was around. And that's you know, kind of happened circumstance. Maybe I lucked into what ended up being a, a you know well-fitted career. I think about this this duality often, right? Because I'm 24, so I, I think about a lot of these things. And it sounds like you were roughly around that age when these things were happening. Do you feel like you had to go through those first couple of jobs that? you didn't really like, it wasn't that fulfilling. It really wasn't that career that you were looking for in order to then gain the wisdom to know where you wanted to go. Or do you think you could have shortcutted that or maybe learn some other way? Like, what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So it's funny. I talked about this yesterday on a podcast too. Uh, there's a little science to this where, and I'm not a cognitive science expert, or I don't know that much about the brain. I just have some experience with my brain. Um, but from my understanding is your, your frontal lobe um, and the identity portion of your brain is really formed till you're about 25. And so, you know, going through some failures and learning about how you react to them while you're still developing your sense of self to me is is very important. I am a firm believer that you should take risks early in your career and try different things and move around and get a bunch of experience and not necessarily just say, this is me, this is what I'm going to do, this is where I'm going. I, I think you should fuck it up. Excuse my language. <laughs> and that's okay. And I learned a tremendous amount. It's why I'm, uh, I like telling the story of like, hey, everybody, I, I think I got a pretty good career. I was able to figure out a way to work for myself and make enough money and build a business and do something I love. And I'm in my early 30s and I feel like it's green grass ahead of me and I feel like I have direction. And I like telling the story of I was selling water coolers business to business. I was in, what was it, Waltham, Massachusetts, maybe? I, I, somewhere near Worcester in uh, Boston, outside of Boston. And I was knocking on doors and I went into a gun shop and I was a solicitor and some guy pulled a gun on me and threw me out of his business. Whoa. And that was the early part of my career, right? Like 
that was what I was doing for work. I was getting tossed out of businesses because people didn't want AT&T phone service. And that obviously doesn't give me a lot of credibility. It's not like, hey, oh, well, there's the guy that got you know thrown out of businesses in Massachusetts coming out of college because he didn't get his act together while he was in school to figure out what his career path was going to be. I learned a tremendous amount from that experience. And you know those failures in terms of not going to a credible company up front and feeling like I was a step behind and, and wanting to be more successful and having to work my way into the right career path and the right, the right fit made me more appreciative of finding the fit that I have now. And also, you know, facing the failures and feeling like I wasn't successful set the tone for me to feel like I had to earn the things that I was working for. And I think it made me a better employee and gave me more gratitude as I matured and got older in my career. So Look, if you can go and you can be Mark Zuckerberg and you can start Facebook when you're 20-something in your dorm room, do, do that. Do that. But for most of us, for me, you know, just the regular guys, the, the screw-ups are good things. And, and they teach you and they're hard lessons, but that's life. Do you think part of the, the value in going through those, those mess-ups and the screw-ups and, and those learning opportunities are more like the information or or the the experience of going through that or more of the person that you become from going through that yes it, it's both um you are always taking in data and and it's qualitative and it's quantitative i'll, I'll use some marketing terms and because it's kind of how i think but like you're getting your inputs and some of the times it is what did i do and what was the outcome and, and you can course correct like that. I put a lot of effort into this company that was a big risk and it didn't pan off. And now I'm pissed because I put in all this effort and I didn't get value from it. Now I know I should put in value to different places. Or I didn't like how that relationship worked. And I, a lot of people are taking all these risks and some of them are successful. And I knew that, but it hurts me more than it hurts other people. And I don't want to go through that again. I need a role with more security or this is a waste of my time. I don't need the security. I want to put it all, all my chips on the table. I'm a risk taker. Let's go. You learn that about yourself through trial, through experience, through errors. You know, and there's guys like you who, you know, are ahead of the game and are, are actively trying to learn this. But for most of us, it is through experience. When you then worked at eBay, so you've made a lot of mistakes You've gotten this opportunity to go work at this really cool company, start building that career. And I believe you said you were there for seven years. Yep. What were some of the biggest things that you learned, the biggest mindset shifts, the takeaways? Yeah. So, I mean, there's sort of tactical learnings about marketing. Um, there was personal development that happened there. Um, eBay was a wonderful experience. So let me set the stage, uh, paint your picture a little bit. Um, my first day at eBay was the 10-year anniversary of the company being founded. And it was a publicly traded company. So it was not an early stage startup. It was not a rocket ship. You know, it, it is not the next big thing. It had arrived. And so the caliber of talent at eBay was incredible. Lots of really smart people, technologists, MBAs, people that had been there for a lot of time, people that had made a lot of money. 
And there was also the sort of previous generation of real innovators, right? People that made the company into what it was, into a global brand during the rise of the internet, during the sort of 1.0 version of the internet. And so I was there at the transition between eBay has arrived. It's the biggest, baddest e-commerce player on the block, kind of like Amazon is today, to the peak as it tried to expand into different places beyond its core business. And then it started to deteriorate in the sense of, you know, it, it didn't have that growth that it had when I started. So I really got to see it still on its upward trajectory, see it peak and see it start to decrease. So I learned a lot about how businesses mature. What are some of the benefits of being at a high growth business? What's the difference between being at a high growth business and being at one that's stagnant and, and, you know, how that affects and who are the types of people that work there and what are people's motivations? Um, you know, on the personal side, I went from an entry level role in business development. I was promoted a couple times and I learned a lot about internet marketing and, um, and I had some wonderful uh, relationships, people that I'm still best friends with. Um, I mean, it was a transformational time. It was really the start of my career. And so, you know, when you're in an environment where you get to build a network with people, the caliber of, you know, that were in eBay in the 2000s, um, it's an amazing opportunity. And if anything, I just wish that I had appreciated it more there, that I didn't realize that not everywhere was that sophisticated that talent rich and, uh, you know, that set up to sort of give me a network and a foundation of marketing that I would carry forward through the rest of my career. When you're talking about learning in, in regards to the people, like learning about how the talent evolves and, and the different dynamics of the different people within a company at that time and seeing those different talent levels, what were some of the biggest like social skills that you that you kind of plucked from that experience? And the reason I'm asking is because I really think we're all in the people business. And so the more adroit we are at handling people and working with people, in my opinion, is one of the most valuable things that or one of the most valuable skills that we can develop. And I think those are the kind of skills, the soft skills that regardless of you know who you are, where you are, or when you're listening to this, it will still be very, very helpful. So what were some of those golden nuggets you plucked from there? Yeah. I mean, I always felt like I was, had some talent in the sense of understanding the soft skills. And, and that's really what my core expertise, it's one of the reasons why I've gravitated towards being a podcast host is, you know, the, our ability to have this conversation is, is not something I stress or, or, it's not that I don't feel challenged by it, but it's not something that I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? Like this is core in my wheelhouse, being able to talk, being able to relate to people, being able to communicate ideas. And so, you know, the soft skill development was something that I, I guess that the really big, the biggest thing that I learned from it is like more to appreciate it and to appreciate the opportunity that you have when you're working in a big company I've, you know, advised and mentored some people that are younger than me and talked to them about how they should develop their career. And 
a lot of the times we have the conversation of, should I go work for a small company or should I go work for a big company? And I, I don't necessarily think there is an answer. It kind of depends on the person. But the value of working at a big company is you're exposed to a lot of people. And so you can build a lot of relationships and, and build out your professional network a lot faster than you would if you're in a small company working very closely with a tight, you know, knit community. You might get less opportunity to try new things at a big company. It moves a lot slower. Um, and so, you know, for me, had I, if I were at eBay now or at a big company now, one of the things that I would be focused on is making as many relationships as I can and making sure that I'm fostering those relationships so they are more meaningful and more impactful because as you transition away from the company, that is what provides you the most benefit down the road. It's the ability to go to somebody and say, hey, we worked together. We had this relationship. You can be one of my advocates in my career. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. How can we help each other, right? Those networks, those relationships, you know, understanding what people's motivations are, working to help them succeed ends up paying off, paying dividends down the road, even when you're outside of the organization. And working at eBay, I didn't necessarily have that context. I thought, these are people I work with now. But when I leave, I don't know what our relationships are going to be like. And it turns out I ended up relying on them a lot. So one of the things that I guess immediately pops into my mind is, if you didn't develop those social skills at eBay, but you came to appreciate them more, how did you develop them? Where do they come from? My dad is a retired orthopedic surgeon. And when I was a kid, go back to the, the DeLorean days and bring it back to uh, you know the, the mid eighties when I was walking around as a little kid in my dad's office, he ran his own business, he had his own practice. And he had the best bedside manner of any doctor that ever lived. He was a good doctor. He, he knew his stuff and he was a good surgeon. But the reason why people loved my dad as a doctor was he made them feel comfortable. He made them feel like he was listening to them and he made them feel like he was on their side. And so, you know, being a doctor, like that is the ultimate service based business, right? It, and, you know, sure, there's knives and blood and drugs and all this other stuff that goes into it, but you have to be able to relate to who the person is to get them to understand what course of treatment they should take and how they can make themselves better. And so, you know, that really comes, you know, more maybe nature than nurture. Um, you know, I probably observed my dad from it, but part of it is probably built in and, and a trait that he passed down to me, uh, you know, of a the ability to, to connect with other people and just try to be a likable guy. So, you know, I, I give him a lot of credit for that. How did he do it? How did he get them to really connect with him? Um, made a lot of jokes. He, you know, sat down next to him, didn't look very uh, threatening. You know, he's just a regular guy. He's got the mannerisms that we could talk and, you know, we're going to have a normal conversation and he was just relatable and just tried to make people feel comfortable. And, you know, you got to read the room a little bit and understand who you're talking to, but being comfortable with yourself and, you know, not taking everything so seriously, I guess. So do you feel like that those are the characteristics that you've modeled? 
Yeah, I actually think that it's one of the reasons why in my current role, right, doing the the marketing consulting and the the podcast production, um, it's really helped me because I can either go into a business that is asking for help in marketing, a very complex, nuanced topic, and make them feel like I have their best interest at heart, which I, I do try to. And, you know, as a podcast host, like you do, um, you have to be able to have a conversation, put somebody at ease and just make them feel like they can talk to you. And it's just a regular old conversation. That's what makes the best audio content. And so by making people feel like you you can relate to them and that you have some, you know, some common ground, it helps the conversation move a little faster. And, you know, I think some people are just inherently good at that. And some people it's a learned and a practice skill, I, you know, some places you have talent, some places you don't. I, for me, I think that's one of my core talents. And there's definitely some other places where I can develop. So once you moved out of eBay after those seven years, and it seems like that is, or that would be where you really honed your chops on the marketing side and the more the hard skills of like internet marketing. Can you talk a little bit about which skills specifically uh, you developed that were the most helpful to to you? And, and now yeah, looking back. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a little in the sense of at eBay is where I honed the hard skills. And eBay is where I learned the landscape. Worked at a big company and, you know, in the eBay's internet marketing team, there is it's kind of broken up and or was broken up into a couple different pieces. There was the organic growth, the SEO team, uh, the, the paid search performance marketing team. There was an affiliates team, um, analytics, business development, which was the team that I was on, which did like partnerships. Um, and I, I would display marketing team. And so what I learned at eBay was some of the sort of high level tactics and strategies that, make all of those channels work, right? Display marketing, eBay, this is early on in the internet days, was cultivating the ability to test what's called a view-through metric for people that aren't marketers. When you're exposed to an ad, when you're served an ad and you see it, but you don't click on it, companies are still evaluating the value of that ad. You might see it and then go to their website later, and that ad still gets some credit for maintaining a brand presence. I learned about that idea, the power of the internet billboard, the view through metric on the paid search side. I learned things about, you know, it's better to have a million different keywords that cover a lot of ground that get one click than one keyword that gets 500,000 clicks. So, you know, sort of tokenizing all of these different products and phrases and, you know, kind of having lots of different types of ads as opposed to trying to get one that really works was the key to paid search. And so there was like little tidbits about how all of these channels worked that I picked up by being in the environment and watching really smart people put these strategies together really at a sort of a a transitional time for the internet and technology at large, kind of the shift between the web 1.0 to the web 2.0 where there's a lot of user generated content. So I learned the, I learned how to read the, you know, the, the board, the map at eBay. And then I left to run my own startup and I had to go be an operator and try to do all these things myself. And again, I screwed everything up. Like I did early in my career, I got everything wrong. Every typical, like first 
time business founder screw up you could make. I did it. I screwed up. I lost a whole bunch of money. Took money from people and couldn't give them back. It was terrible. Felt awful. Still do. But I learned a tremendous amount about that. And that was, you know, the equivalent of my MBA was trying to go do it myself and do everything. And I learned a little bit about what I was good at and learned a little bit about what I wasn't good at. And then I really started to pick off the hard skills and master my craft. Ah, that makes so much sense. And I'm so grateful that you that you corrected me there because to me, that's a brilliant, brilliant distinction of at eBay, you learn like the strategy, it seems like. And then when you went on your own, you learned how to execute or, you know, you attempted to execute on a lot of different things. And that's when you figured out where you could execute within that strategy. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and there were some tactical things that I learned at eBay. I was in business, the business development team. So I learned a lot about negotiations and about business models and, and how to align incentives between two big companies. I learned a lot about how big companies work and how they think about themselves and some process stuff there. I worked on the SEO team for a cup of coffee right before I was leaving eBay while I was transitioning away from the company and working on my startup. Um, and so I learned a lot about content marketing, which is something that's helped me a lot there too. But, you know, the real trials and tribulations of like, how do I get ads to be up running and performant? And, you know, what's the difference between organic and growth and performance marketing and all the other things that go into running a, a real marketing plan? I, I picked those skills up down the road. When you were <clears throat> figuring out exactly which hard skills you excelled at by, you know, trying and trying to execute after you left, where did you find your genius was? I'm still looking for my genius. There's, there's some things that I think I'm pretty good at. Uh, I don't know if I would call myself a genius in any regard. Um, you know, I, that's a really tough question to answer. I think that when I started um, focusing less on the things that I thought were, everybody else was saying were the most important and focusing on the things that I inherently did well and taking advantage of the skills that I had and the things that I was interested in, um, I started to be more successful. You know, performance marketing was and, and the Facebook ads and it was, you know, Google ads and or they were AdWords back in the day. Now they're Google ads. When I was making the transition to work in early stage startups, everybody wanted somebody to go master Facebook and Google. And, you know, that was something that I could do, but it was harder for me to sort of understand the um, performance marketing side and the tools and the technology behind how performance marketing works. I've had enough reps now where I, I feel like I really get it, but that was a, a harder learning curve for me than it was to go have a conversation with somebody and turn it into a piece of content, you know? And, and so when I started focusing on the things that I inherently did well, create content, do some branding, make the connection between performance marketing and content um, and really sort of see the whole landscape and be able to sort of be the head of the marketing strategy as opposed to the guy kind of in the weeds hacking away, um, I started to be more successful in my career. 
That's really, really fascinating. So instead of what the market was kind of asking for or what they kind of expected based on like the, the, I guess the average sentiment, instead of focusing on that and trying to fit yourself into that mold, you instead focused on, and maybe it, maybe it included some of it, but you focused on really what interested you and what you felt you were really good at or you were the best at. It's what I've really focused on in the last four years being independent. Um, I enjoyed running the marketing department at, at VC back startups. That was kind of the next stage for me after my uh, failed startup, right? I learned from screwingupstrumschool.com. It was a video guitar lesson website I was trying to launch, the, the Facebook for guitar players. And uh didn't work. And then I went to run the marketing department at early stage startups, and I was trying to be the, the, the stereotypical growth marketer, the hacker that, you know, tried all these experiments and, you know, was pretty good at it, but not great. And at the last startup I worked at, um, I just sort of felt like all of the things that I was trying to do and be weren't necessarily the things that I was. And so it was a really hard, it was a really bad beat for me when I left my last startup. And it's a great company and there are great people there. The relationship just kind of didn't work at the end of the day. It took me a little while, but I, I don't have any hard feelings toward them, but I was basically either going to get fired or quit. It just wasn't working out. And I was totally butthurt. I was just crushed and I was angry and didn't understand why all of it was happening. And at the end of the day, it just wasn't a good fit. It doesn't matter why. It just wasn't working out. They were looking for something different than what I was. I wasn't their cup of tea. Okay, that's fine. I left and I started an independent consulting business and I, I walked away saying, I got to take some time off. I'm not going to work. I'm going to go take, it was in November. So it's right before Thanksgiving. I'm going to go uh, take a, a minute off, go enjoy my life, spend some time with my wife. I haven't taken a month off since I was nine and uh, I'm going to see what it's like. Three days later, I was building my personal website. And I was rebranding <laughs> my personal website to be a consulting site because I didn't have a way to tell people I left the company I was at. And I just, I was trying to protect myself. I was trying to brand myself in a way and, and tell the story in a way that positioned me to be uh, an expert marketer. And I was making the transition from working in-house to being independent. And I was gonna take on some short-term projects um, you know, while I figured out what my next job was. And I thought I was going back in-house, hand on the Bible, thought I was going back to take another startup job. And I re released my website thinking it was a nice project. It gave me something to do. It was an art project. It was something that I just wanted to make. I had to make something instead of market something. I wanted to build. And it was just a reaction to being hurt. So I made this website, benjshap.com. Sorry, I don't mean to give the sales pitch, but that was my consulting website. I don't really focus on consulting right now, but I made the site and the homepage and everything is still there. And I made it three days after I quit slash got fired my last job. And uh, I said, Hey everybody, it's Friday. I left rinse. I'm taking on short-term projects. I'm taking on a next step in my career. I'm not sure what direction it's going to go, but here's the website I built to talk about who I am as a marketer and as a consultant. 
And from that single Facebook post, I had two consulting projects. One of them I'm still working on three and a half years later. And they, those two projects were the start of my consulting business, which fed me and my family for years. And the work that came out of that was, hey, who are you as a marketer? What do you want to be doing? And it was like, I like these projects. So I'm going to go do this shit. And when I started saying, this is what I want to go do, and I'm going to focus my time and effort on that, all of a sudden I started seeing better results. And people started liking working with me more. And everybody just seemed to find more value out of what I was doing. So when I started just doing what I do well, everything just kind of started to work out. So on that website, when you first were like, okay, this is who I am now, right? And by the way, I love that you were like, all right, I'm going to take time off. And then three days later, you were building something else. What else I was that. I going to do? Was <laughs> didn't know what to do with myself. I love that. It's either that um, or start knitting. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with knitting. For those, not for me. For those knitters out there. <laughs> me neither. I'd, I'd probably stab myself with the thing on accident. So. End up with a needle in my forehead. Exactly. Exactly. So <clears throat> you, you, were, you were working as you know, the, the marketing guy at the startups and then you went on your own. What did you embrace as far as this is what I do now? These are my specialties. Like, how did you brand yourself at that point? You're asking about the creative process, which is something I'm not sure anybody really understands truly. Um, I sat down with a blank canvas, a Squarespace site for me is my blank canvas, and said, I'm going to pick a picture that represents something that I think looks cool and kind of feels like it's how I want to position myself. And I'm going to write a tagline. And I came up with the uh, line, I guess the first line was something pithy was, it's not, was it's not personal, it's not business, it's business with personality. And I felt like a lot of what I was doing was stereotypical marketing. I need to be a startup guy and I'm going to be the growth hacker and I'm going to do the Facebook ads and I'm going to out optimize and A-B test and I'm going to do what everybody says is the right way to be a marketer. And this is what the cool kids are doing. And that line of copy was bucking how I felt about the general circumstances that I had put myself in. I have to take ownership for it, but I didn't want to just be business and I didn't just want to be an artist. I wanted to manage a business with some personality and bring some heart to it. And then the second line was, are you ready to give your brand a voice? And I think that the attitude that comes with the first line of copy, which was like, excuse my language. I know I've sworn a couple of times. I'm going to do it again. Fuck you. This is me. <laughs> okay. And if you don't like it, I'm independent. I don't need you. I can go find somebody else to work with me. I'm good at what I do. And I can find people that are going to appreciate it. And if it's not you, have a nice life. And the second part was, here's what I'm going to do. I can help give your brand a voice. I did a musical theater in high school. I, I was on the football team for a, a second and decided I didn't like getting hit in the head and I didn't like tackling. And so I decided after that, that I was going to go and I was going to do, you know, singing and acting. 
And that was what I gravitated towards in high school and something that I felt like I was naturally good at. And I said, you have to go with what your skills are. Um, and I always thought that my core skill, that thing that I did well, like I was a good singer and I was able to communicate with people and that's a big part of it and sort of feel the emotion and, and communicate that. And so give your brand a voice was like the, uh, this is the thing that I do well. I can actually help you understand who you are as a company and help you understand the people that are interested in that and help you say the story the way that's going to jive with them, get some resonance. And, you know, that was what I wrote when I was staring at the blank canvas, being hurt from the previous experience, trying to reflect who I am and what I wanted to do. And uh, they're basically my mantra now. And, you know, going through that process and just letting what's in you come out is something that I've tried to do as a marketing consultant. They try to put a process around to help other companies understand like, hey, tell me who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. And then writing, reading those words back to them and putting it in a way that other people can interpret. And that sounds attractive. So sometimes you just got to clean the slate, you know, throw out the trash, start over and, and figure out who you are and what you want to be. And when you're honest with yourself and you're authentic, that's when you're at your best. Have you ever considered putting out like a, a, a book or um, a specific resource for individuals to help them go through that same process? It, it, the, the reason I ask is because so many people that I've talked to, especially especially people my age, they struggle so much with finding their voice and how that manifests itself is when people ask them, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? They're like, I have no idea. Oh my God, stop asking me. But it's just like a lot of confusion and misalignment with what they're doing that they just don't really know. Yeah. I mean, I think this goes back to the age and personal development side where I'm stereotyping a little, or, or I don't know, what, what do you call age stereotyping? Uh, whatever it is, age typing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a word for this and I know what it is. I just can't remember it. Uh, so, you know, you're still developing. The people that are saying, what do you want to do? Who are you? What do you want to be? It's like, I don't know. It's like, cool, go try some stuff and figure it out. And when you're older, not to say that, you know, you're young and I'm old, but that let's say that there's that 25 year old, you know, dotted line in the sand, dotted line in the sand, line in the sand or the dotted line. Um, you start to have a better sense of who you are. And then you could start saying yes and no to things, but you have to have all of those experiences to and get to that point where you have a, a fully baked or a, a more baked sense of self to be like, okay, now I could really start answering who I am. So I would rather focus on people that are a little bit more mature and have a more defined sense of self and more life experiences that are saying, I want to make this transition from what I'm doing to what I want to be doing. How can I do that? And one thing that I've thought about, I haven't really thought of like, oh, I should write a book or put a course, but I thought about doing some sort of a coaching program to help people that are in a nine to five, but want to be independent 
and they want to build a, a consulting practice or some sort of uh, an agency or go out on their own and they don't know how to do it. And there's a, there is a process to saying, okay, these are the skills I have. I'm going to go rely on my network to go build these skills and sell the services I have without being tied to one company. And I, I thought about doing a course there, but honestly, I'm, I'm so busy talking about marketing for the, the podcast I'm doing. And I, I build a lot of that into the monthly recaps of the show of like, here's how I am developing and how I'm working on the things that I've been doing and what I've been learning from this project. And I try to share that with my community so they not only get the practical marketing tips and they learn about other people's career, but they're they're hearing from me and hearing about how I'm developing a, a solopreneurship and how I think about my business. I love that. I love that because, I mean, a lot. So many of the things that you were saying, I literally feel like that was me at at a point in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I resonated so hard with that. I was like, Ben, not only do we share a first name, but we share a lot of similar experiences and a, a lot of the same paths. It was just, it was, it was almost like, it was almost like deja vu of like what I had experienced with what you were talking about. You had experienced it. Was, uh, it was just, it was cool. That, that, you know, that's why I wanted to ask that. We're, we're, we're Ben soul brothers, but I, the, <laughs> yeah. kidding aside, like, uh, you know, Hey, I don't think I, it, what I experienced in my early twenties is different than what most people, even if you have the most successful career in the world, there's always this balance at, at those times of who am I, you know, what do I stand for? What's my career going to look like? Who am I dating? What's my life going to be like? Where do I want to live? Am I going to make enough money? Like my twenties were awesome. It was super fun because you don't have any responsibility other than, you know, making some money, putting food on the table for yourself, which is not that expensive and getting some life experiences. My life in my 20s was about finding a good party, meeting some nice people, getting some career skills. And it was all about me. It was so self-centered. It was beautiful. I miss it so much. (laughs) I wouldn't go back. I love my life now. But like that was a great time because it was very simple. And you don't realize that when you're in your 20s, early 20s, still age typing. Uh, but, you know, it's about you then. And and for me, as I got older, I got married. You know, I figured out who I want to spend the rest of my life with. Now we got to pay for a house. We have a kid. Now none of it's about me. It's about family first. And, you know, so your mindset changes. And uh, again, I feel like I take everything for granted until after it's done. But like, my time at eBay, my early 20s were amazing and wonderful and totally self-centered and totally indulgent. And out of that, I learned a lot of good lessons, a lot of hard lessons, and it made me the person that I am today and allowed me to sort of feel like I got my money's worth during that time. But I can also focus on helping other people. And it's one of the reasons why I think, you know, kind of the being a little bit of an educator with the podcast and mm-hmm. And, and helping other people with marketing. It allows me to be in a service business and be okay with it because all I do is try to help other people. Let's talk about your podcast because sure. I'm infinitely curious how you got that up and running and why and then the chronology of how it has grown until today. 
Yeah. Um, I'll go back to failing a couple times first. So the first podcast I ever launched was a project called A Long Road Home. And I, I broke the feed. I wish everybody would look listen to it. It's a wonderful art project. Um, I had a couple of beers at the end of a party and I was driving home through San Francisco. I was in a lift. I decided I wanted to have a conversation with the driver. I sat up front and I asked him where he was from. And turns out he was a defector from North Korea. And so I was like, uh, you mean South Korea? You know, I figured he was like, didn't really know North versus South and got the English right. Cause it was clear English wasn't his first language. And he's like, no, 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 North Korea, like the cruel dictatorship, North Korea. I'm like, you're the first person in the world. The first person, not in the world, the first person I've ever met from North Korea. Tell me your story. He is a child escaped from North Korea. He got caught. He got put into a labor camp. He escaped again and he defected to through the United Nations to the United States. And he was a, studying how to be a software engineer to try to help communicate with the people in North Korea to try to free North Korea. Wow. Charles Ryu, Chol, this is his real name. Amazing guy, totally inspirational. I was like, this story is incredible. I want to help you tell it to the world. Would you be interested in making a podcast? I'd never made a podcast before in my life. I had just started a consulting business. Um, my wife was seven months pregnant. And so two days later, I'm sitting there saying, hey, Katie, when you get home, there's going to be a guy from North Korea sitting in our living room and I'm buying these microphones and I'm going to figure out how to make a podcast. She's looking at me like I have a third eye and it's just like, whatever, Ben, just I'm so pregnant. I don't even care what you do. Just <laughs> leave me alone. I, I record this podcast. I, I decide I'm going to try to market it a little. I test a couple of marketing channels. I find one that's an exceptional way to grow podcasts and, uh, you know, it was a great, a great little art project. And it was just making something that I thought needed to be made, a story that needed to be told. But I, it was three episodes and it got downloaded like, I think it was like 10,000 times. It, it, it was, you know, pretty well trafficked for a podcast. And I was, you know, doing a lot of marketing and, and did some PR and it got written up in the, I think it was the San Francisco Times, the San Francisco Examiner, the San Francisco Examiner, one of the local papers. Um, and I sort of tucked it away and said, cool, now I know how podcasts work and I'm going to go back to marketing consulting. And a year later, my marketing consulting business was doing well, but the nature of being a consultant is your business goes up and then it goes down and then it goes up and then it goes down. And I had just had a kid and I wanted more stability. It's hard to be a consistent and present father when you're not sure which month you're going to be working your butt off and which month you're going to have time. And so I wanted something that was more consistent. So I was kicking the tires on going back in house to take a job or finding another way to make my consulting practice more stable. So I launched two podcasts. One was called for the fans by the fans, which is a sports podcast about the San Francisco giants. And it was a marketing pitch to the president of the company Fanatics, which sells all the light, licensed sports merchandise for all the major sports teams. And I was trying to get him to see that I could create a podcast for his brand that was going to be effective and we could do it at scale. And it did relatively well. I got a couple thousand downloads and I was really enjoying talking about sports. And that was my way to try to make a job at a company that I really respected with you know a boss that I really respected. So I was trying to sort of work my way into uh, the the perfect role for me. 
And on the flip side, I launched the MarTech podcast, which was meant to be a way that I can connect with other marketers with the hopes of doing lead generation for my consulting business. And uh, the for the for the fans by the fans FTF BTF podcast just kind of did okay, growing slowly, and the Martech podcast took off. People just loved the content and started sharing it with their friends. And I didn't have to spend a lot of budget. And after the first year, we went from zero to ten thousand downloads a month. And then I said, okay, I shouldn't be doing this for lead generation. I should be trying to sell advertising and build a community and make this a core of my business because it can be more stable and that's honestly like 75% of what I do right now. And the other 25% of the time I'm making podcasts or consulting other people on how to do podcasts. That's awesome. So what made it so shareable? Mm, excuse me. Um, what made it so shareable? Um, I think that people liked hearing the marketers who are the the people that listen to the show liked hearing two marketers talking to each other and liked the approach that I would talk to somebody that was more of an expert on a subject from me and they were teaching me how something worked. I wasn't trying to be the expert myself. I was learning and I was restating the things that they were saying in a more digestible format. So I actually think that's the secret to being a good podcast host is you get somebody who is an expert in an area that you probably don't know as well as they do. They tell you all the facts, they use all the jargon, they say it in a very complicated way. And then you try to restate what they say back to them in a way that is in your language that is less complicated than what they said. And so then your listeners are saying, oh, I've now heard it twice. And the way the second guy said it, because he's a dummy and he doesn't understand what the real subject is about, I can digest. And it helps people to understand some more complicated topics. And so I feel like that cadence of talking about something technical, but distilling it down into a format, in, into a, a, a piece of content that people can really understand and digest, um, the audience appreciated and when somebody gets value out of something, they share it with their friends. You know, they share it with their colleagues. And I mean, I do a bunch of paid marketing and a whole bunch of other marketing stuff to grow the show, but it really started with a lot of organic growth. That's amazing. So where do you want to, where do you want to take it? Like, where do you want to go? What do you want to be doing for the rest of your life? Yeah. The uh, rest of my life's a hard one. I don't know if I can answer that yet. Um, I, I have some ideas of what I want to be doing in the near future. Um, and I, I do, they're not religious, but, but a religious, religious level of importance to me, yearly goals. I, I think about what I want to do this year. And I set milestones at the end of December for the next year of what I want to accomplish and where I want to be. And I think a little bit about the long-term trajectory, but I really try to break things off one year at a time like you would in a business. And so I set personal goals, finance goals, business goals, health goals, you know, all sorts of other like goals. And I got you know, three bullets for each thing that I want to accomplish. For the business this year, um, I want to understand who is in my community. And so less 
quantitative, more qualitative, like who are the people that are listening to my podcast? How do I understand them so I can build things that they need and want so they continue to stick around and appreciate the show and help share it? Uh, there's a volume goal. We want to reach a hundred thousand downloads a month. We wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars of revenue this year from podcast sponsorships. We had made zero dollars last year. Um, and then I wanted to test the idea that the MarTech podcast and the sort of playbook that I've built for this show is something that can be repeated. And so I'm starting to build out, I'm testing the idea of building a network of business podcasts um, that are similar to the MarTech podcast, but speak to different audiences and different groups. So we're launching a show called the Finding a Job podcast actually next month um, that speak to early careerists that are you know people that are looking to get their first job. How do I know what career path I should take? How do I know what first job is the right one? How do I get the first job? Um, and so I'm starting to think about creating more shows than just the one that I'm hosting, but helping other people host the shows and use what I've learned to, to grow their audience. What's your greatest theory? Uh, e equals MC squared. Is that your theory? Uh, I mean, I, I honestly don't know what you mean by what's your greatest theory. Like somebody said, came up to you and said, okay, if you had to talk, like to distill your whole life down to the most important thing that you've learned, what would that be? Take care of the people that take care of you. Can you explain that, please? It goes back to, you know, personal or professionally. Um, I mentioned at eBay, looking back, I would have spent more time cultivating the relationships because those people down the road would be incredibly important to me. Um, and the more that you can give of yourself to other people and try to be altruistic and help them, the more they're going to help you and the more successful you'll be. Um, I, I do everything in my power to try to make my wife's life comfortable and happy and fulfilling because when she's comfortable and happy and fulfilled, she has the mental capacity to help me with the things that I need help with in a way that nobody else in the world can um, try to be nice and loving and supportive of my parents because they've given a lot to me and they've always, you know, given more of themselves than I could ever ask. So this is more of a general life philosophy of like, if you are giving of yourself and, and thinking about how you can help other people, they will return the favor and you'll be taken care of. And you know, that's what it's all about. What truths do you hold today? that you think might change in the next 10 years? Um, I think that the notion of work and jobs is changing. I think that I am on the earlier side of people moving away from a traditional W-2 full-time employment agreement to being specialized and working for themselves. And I think that there's a generational shift here where your generation, people that are younger than you are going to say, well, I can go work for Facebook in you know 15 years from now, and it's going to be a million person company. And I can go plug in and work nine to five and have everything taken care of for me. Or I can work for myself and work for a bunch of people and do the things that I love to do and not just be handed one role and change it whenever I want to. And so I think that there is a 
a, a shift in how work is being done. It's more of a global economy. Um, you can take advantage of the economy of geography. So, you know, people that work in different parts of the world, you can pay them less and it is still equally valuable. And so it's one of the things that the MarTech podcast, you know, my team is in uh, Greece, the Ukraine, Egypt. Um, I know I'm forgetting one other, California, all over the world. And, you know, they're they're great people and they work very hard and they're in, expensive than some of the people that are my neighbors. And so, um, you know, this idea of worldwide collaboration, as opposed to having everybody in the same room working on the same thing at the same time, we all have, have these very defined roles. I think that's changing. And sure, like the FTE, the full-time employment, the W-2, the full-time job is always going to be there. But I think more and more people will gravitate towards being independent, doing contract work and working on their terms how and when they want to. I want to thank you so so much, Ben, for uh, for for coming on the show and for sharing this time with me. It's uh, it's been been very special uh, for me. So I just want to say thank you. I, I was thrilled to be here. I appreciate it. I love what you're doing, and uh, I hope uh, you and 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 your listeners enjoyed the conversation. So I have, I have one more question for you, and then yeah, uh, yeah. Then, then let's wrap it up. Um, we we talked about you know my age and. Um, you know, it's, it's relevant because I want to ask the personal question of what should I be asking you, specifically you, that I just wouldn't think to ask? Um, I That's a really interesting question. What should you be asking me that you wouldn't think to ask? Um, I am stumped. I, I think that you can ask a bunch of stuff about how to grow a podcast if you wanted to get technical. Um, that can be a long diatribe. Uh, and if you want to go on the personal level, um, going out going out on your own and, and being independent and working for yourself, what are the trade-offs there? Um, and you know what's the risk that you're taking? And what's it look like when you're not doing the typical nine to five full-time employee type thing? You know, how do you make that work? I think that's something that um, through my experiences, I've, I've, you know, gone through the fire and come out on the other side and have built a process to be able to say, I work for myself. I work when and how I want to. And obviously I have lots of responsibilities and obligations and taken on plenty of risk, but I feel like I have more security than I've ever had. Um, and, you know, that's something that, you know, I feel like the learnings that I've had and, and the way that I've been able to figure it out is something that I think is valuable for other people to know. That's awesome. Well, thank you again, Ben, very, very much for, for coming on the show. And thank you to everybody who is watching and listening. Your time is very valuable. So I'm very grateful that you choose to share some of it with us today. So thank you very much. I love y'all very, very much. And I will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thanks, everybody.